Our scripture this morning is the 59th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 59. Would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways, The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on a breastplate, righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. 
And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would come and speak to us, that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ and see him high and lifted up and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Justice. As you know, on January the 22nd, 1973, in its ruling in the case of Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned all state laws prohibiting abortion for the first two trimesters. Roe also mandated that any state-level restrictions of abortion must allow exceptions for the health of the mother. The very same day, the high court ruled in the case of Doe versus Bolton. That decision expanded the health of the mother to include, quote, all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient. All these factors may relate to health. Beginning in 1984, conservative Catholics and evangelicals have recognized the Lord's Day nearest January 22nd as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. In five weeks, I will have been ordained for 12 years. In those 12 years, I have never preached a sanctity of human life sermon. Though I believe in the sanctity of human life and have spoken against abortion many times over the years. There are various reasons why I have never preached this kind of sermon before. There's neither time nor the need to list them all here. But just to clear the air, one reason I have not preached on it before in this way is that I do not want to get into partisan politics in the pulpit. And it is simply a fact that one major political party is officially pro-abortion. And the other major political party is not. And while I firmly believe with everything in me that abortion is wrong, I believe just as firmly that it is wrong to make people feel that they cannot be welcome in church because of their political affiliation. And most of you know that I have extremely strong political opinions. I know my own heart, and I cannot allow myself before God to stand in this sacred desk and act like a talk radio host. Now that I have given this long and somewhat tacky disclaimer, I beg you to hear me out. Why am I preaching on this today for the first time? Let me assure you that it is not because this is an election year. For one thing, I'm not telling you how to vote. 
And for another thing, even if I did tell you how to vote, I know you and I know that in 10 months you won't remember anything I've said, so I'd be wasting my time. Besides, I think we all know politics won't ultimately fix anything. If abortion were outlawed and the Supreme Court upheld the ban, one day the balance of power would shift the other way and it will be legalized again. No, the reason I'm dealing with this subject today is because of things that we have all been hearing, things we've never heard before in our lives. In 1992, presidential candidate Bill Clinton famously said that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. And though not everyone could agree on the legal part, most all Americans agreed with him that it should be rare. But 20 years later, the language of abortion being rare was deliberately deleted from his party's platform. Another four years later, in 2016, I was watching the convention, and I was shocked to see the president of NARAL, the National Abortion and Reproductive Rights Action League, make the following statement in front of, ten of, in front of tens of thousands of party delegates in the audience and in front of millions on live television. She said, quote, to succeed in life, all we need are the tools, the trust, and the chance to chart our own path. I was fortunate enough to have these things when I found out I was pregnant years ago. I wanted a family, but it was the wrong time. I made the decision that was best for me to have an abortion. Now, years later, my husband and I are parents to two incredible children. It was jolting to hear a woman essentially brag about having an abortion. But what was even worse was that the convention broke out in thunderous applause when she did. And then not long after that, along came this so-called comedian, Michelle Wolf who a couple of years ago at the White House Correspondents' Dinner said of abortion, quote, don't knock it till you try it. And when you do try it, really knock it. You know you got to get the baby out of there. And just a few weeks ago, she said this. I think you should be able to get an abortion for any reason you want. You can feel any way you want after an abortion. Get one. See how you feel. You know how my abortion made me feel? Very powerful. You know how people say you can't play God? I walked out of there being like, move over, Morgan Freeman. I am God. 
You remember when the New York State Senate passed the so-called Reproductive Health Act, completely decriminalizing abortion under any circumstances on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade a year ago, that the Senate chamber erupted in a standing ovation and the governor ordered the One World Trade Center to be lit up in pink in celebration of the occasion. Shortly after that, the governor of Virginia made headlines when he commented on a failed bill in the state legislature to allow abortion all the way up to birth. He said, quote, where there may be severe, severe deformities, a fetus that's non-viable, the infant would be delivered, the infant would be kept comfortable, the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desire. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. The governor of Virginia apparently believes that abortion should be permissible in certain cases even after the child has been born. And since he made that statement, his party has gained total control of the state legislature, and they will get that bill passed soon. And of course, there is the actress, Michelle Williams, who used her time when she accepted her Golden Globe to say, quote, I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. I got the transcript of her speech at CNN.com. The headline says, quote, Read Michelle Williams' powerful speech about choice. Much like the pro-homosexual movement that has been rammed down our throats, the pro-abortion movement used to argue for permission. But it is not enough anymore to permit homosexuality or abortion. Now they must be celebrated and glorified. And so I feel the burden to push back as best I can, against this kind of rhetoric. I trust the Lord gave me this burden. I'm just speaking to 150 people in small town South Carolina. But something has to be said. Yet none of these statements move me to speak on this subject. But on the evening of February the 5th, 2019... I heard Ms. Stacey Abrams give the response to the President's State of the Union address. And she uttered one sentence that set off multiple alarms in my head and my heart. This was the sentence, quote, America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe versus Wade. But we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. 
Now, I'll explain what bothered me so much about that statement in a bit, but we do have a text, Isaiah 59. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord is telling his people what is wrong with them and the structures of their society and why he is going to bring judgment against them in the form of the Babylonians. And as we take just a cursory look at what the Lord says to Judah, we will see a chilling similarity to our own situation. And I'm afraid that that one short statement by Ms. Abrams encapsulates the very issues in our nation for which the Lord brought supreme devastation upon his own nation 2,600 years ago. Let's look at it. First, in this passage, we see defiled hands. Look at verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Now look at verse 7. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. Now throughout the Old Testament, the shedding of innocent blood is a major crime. And it can refer to killing an innocent man, for instance. The prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 26, If you kill me, you will shed innocent blood. But Psalm 106 gives another example of shedding innocent blood. Psalm 106 verse 37 says, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. The children of Israel engaged in idolatry and even engaged in the abominable practice of child sacrifice. And the Lord said that killing their babies was pouring out innocent blood. Therefore, the land was polluted. Killing babies is shedding innocent blood. And the Lord says to Judah, and how could he not be saying to us, your hands are defiled with innocent blood? Most recent statistics I could find are from 2017. According to the Guttmacher Institute, that year, 18% of all expectations ended in abortions. A total of over 862,000. One in four women in this country will have an abortion by age 45. Approximately 60 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade. Our hands are defiled with innocent blood. You see defiled hands. Secondly, in this passage, we see deceptive words. Look at verse 3 again. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Look at verse 13. 
transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Interwoven with the shedding of innocent blood is lies. Again and again, the Lord charges people with empty words, lies, twisted words, and the absence of truth. Particularly in verse 14, he says, Truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. A lie must be perpetuated. The meanings of words must be changed for the shedding of innocent blood to be tolerated. One of the notable ministers in this denomination, Reverend Matthew Miller, formerly the Greenville ARP Church, has done extensive research into the role of his professor and mentor and friend, the late Dr. Harold O.J. Brown, in the founding of the evangelical pro-life movement. Several years ago, Miller completed a master's thesis on Dr. Brown's part in the pro-life movement. He titled the thesis, No Dia Mentiris, which I murdered it, but that's Spanish for don't tell lies. Not time to get into why the title's in Spanish, a good reason for it. But Miller points out that the use of language controls the debate. He quoted a speech Dr. Brown gave in 1979 in which he said, words gradually influence beliefs. It is easier, think about this, it is easier to, quote, terminate a pregnancy than to, quote, abort a fetus. And even that is easier than, quote, killing a baby. Use of harmless-sounding and even attractive words tends to familiarize us with the most dreadful reality. The danger, then, in an evangelical adoption of non-biblical language includes the real possibility of gradually blurring one's own original convictions in the area, not by discovery of new biblical evidence, nor even by persuasion, but simply, think of this, simply by continual repetition of an unanalyzed slogan with an unrecognized content. Now, you get what he's saying. You control the language, you win the debate. Killing a baby and terminating a pregnancy mean the same thing. However, killing a baby is purely descriptive truth, while terminating a pregnancy hides more of the truth than it reveals. Dr. Brown said that we cannot allow the pro-abortion movement to control the terms of the debate. He says they use the power of language to manipulate the facts. The word fetus. 
is Latin for child. But by referring to the child in the womb as a fetus rather than a child, the debate is easily manipulated. And that brings me to the statement by Ms. Abrams that set off the alarm for me. Again, quote, America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe versus Wade. When she referred to abortion as, quote, reproductive justice, I smelled a rat. I never heard that term before. But I assumed it was some kind of a code word. And I found out that it was. The term reproductive justice was coined in 1994 by an organization called Sister Song, based in Atlanta, where Ms. Abrams lives. Sister Song defines reproductive justice as, quote, the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Now last June, at the first of the presidential debates, the former HUD secretary, Julian Castro, said, quote, I don't believe in only reproductive freedom, I believe in reproductive justice. What that means is that just because a woman, or let's also not forget someone in the trans community, a trans female, is poor, doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to exercise that right to choose. So essentially, reproductive justice means that someone who wants an abortion but cannot afforded, is entitled to taxpayer-funded abortion. It's not enough just to have the right to have one. One is also entitled to the money to pay for it. I don't know how else to say this. If our society accepts and adopts this definition of justice, then our nation will fall. In his book, The Death of the West, Pat Buchanan quotes the historian Will Durant who observed that the fall of Rome was precipitated by declining birth rates. He said that, quote, abortion and infanticide were decimating pagan society. Buchanan writes, quote, The decisions women are making today will determine if Western nations will even be around in a century and Western women are voting no. Again, I say, if justice in America is defined as publicly funded abortion, America will fall. Deceptive words. You see defiled hands, deceptive words. Thirdly, we see distorted justice. Look at verse 4. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. Now look at 9. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. 
We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Now verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. When innocent blood is shed and words are stripped of true meaning, justice is distorted, is perverted. What is called justice is in fact gross injustice. You remember in the year 2015 that two undercover reporters, David Delighton and Sandra Susan Merritt, released videos showing officials from Planned Parenthood discussing the prices of selling the body parts of aborted babies. And did the courts go after Planned Parenthood? No. They went after the reporters who exposed them. The Attorney General of California at the time, Kamala Harris, you may have heard of her, ordered a raid on Delighton's home. When she was elected senator, her successor charged these reporters with 15 felonies. Two months ago, a federal jury in a civil case ordered them, ordered them to pay Planned Parenthood, $870,000 in restitution. And they are set to be arraigned in federal court on 15 felony charges the 30th of this month. This is what passes for justice in America today. Meanwhile, Planned Parenthood is budgeted to receive government funding to the tune of half a billion dollars this year. Despite the fact that the party that ran on defunding Planned Parenthood and promised to defund Planned Parenthood held majorities in both houses of Congress and the presidency for two years and did absolutely nothing. Perhaps you remember the debate last September when the senator from Vermont basically said that America should give funding to, quote, poor countries for abortion in order to control the human population in order to fight climate change. He said that in response to a question from a person in the audience who said this, human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? But this person who believes that American money should go to pay for abortions all over the world to cut down the human population is also a vegan, meaning that in addition to vegetarian, being a vegetarian, this person eats no animal products like milk or eggs and uses no animal products. This person has written about sobbing over the misery and pain of animals, but supports sending our money to the four corners of the earth to kill human babies. This is the perversion of justice. 
where animals mean more than human babies. You see deviled hands, deceptive words, distorted justice. Fourthly, in this passage, we see devastating repayment. Look at verse 15. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a, a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. The Lord looked and saw that the nation's hands were defiled with innocent blood. He heard the lies and the half-truths. He saw there was no justice in the land and God himself suited up for battle, not against the Assyrians, or the Canaanites, or the Philistines, or the Egyptians, or the Babylonians, but against his own people. He would bring wrath to his adversaries and repayment to his enemies. That divine wrath came in the form of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the complete annihilation of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple and walls, and 70 years in captivity. And then the Lord turned around and did even worse to the Babylonians. Now I know America is not ancient Israel, but Israel is not the only nation God ever cursed. He cursed them all. He brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt, Moab, Ammon, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. And the New Testament indicated that in our own era, he would bring judgment on Rome. Verse 16 says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. God saw there was no one to intercede when the nation went down the tubes. I'm not preaching this message because I want to stoke up partisan politics. I'm preaching this message because I don't want my children to live in a nation that is conquered and subjugated by another people because the Lord had enough of us and put on his armor and came against America. Devastating repayment. You see, deviled hands, deceptive words, distorted justice, devastating repayment. And fifthly and finally, we see a declared redemption. Look at verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. God promises people a redeemer who would come to Zion to those of his people who would turn from transgression, those who repent. He sent the Redeemer. He promised to Zion. Jesus Christ went to Zion, to Jerusalem, and there he died.
bearing all the sin, all the lies and injustice and innocent blood stains of all who will turn from their sin. You think of that image of the Lord putting on his armor to do battle against his enemies. And then think of him putting on his armor and coming against his own son. For our redemption. If not a single woman in this church has ever had an abortion, I can say with certainty that this would be the first church I've ever pastored where that is the case. And for most women who have an abortion, there's a man, a man who either pushes it or encourages it or so sorry as to make it seem like the only alternative. God forgives that, you know. He said a redeemer would come for those who would turn from transgression. That includes the shedding of innocent blood. But if you listen to the Pied Pipers who joke about it and glory in it and have the gall to call killing a human baby justice and boast in the shedding of innocent blood, you will go to hell with them. We've all sinned. The message is not that sinners go to hell. The message is that sinners who refuse to repent go to hell. But those who do turn from their sin find that one day 2,000 years ago, a Redeemer went to Zion to pay every ounce of justice. And I want to leave you today with what for me are the sweetest words ever written outside the Bible. These words come from our Confession of Faith, chapter 15 and section 4. You remember these words. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.